0: To those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Amen. You may have already noticed that last week's sermon text was from the book of Ephesians, and so is this week's. In fact, the list of sermon texts assigned for the summer have a series from the book of ephesians which we will be bringing to you through perhaps the middle of september the second in our series from this new testament book is taken from ephesians chapter 2 verses 13 through 22. but now in christ jesus you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of christ for he himself is our peace who has made both one And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit so far of God's holy word. In the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who both tears down and builds up, both for our great blessing, dear fellow redeemed. I'm going to name a couple of local companies, see if they sound familiar, and try to figure out what they may have in common. Here's one, B&B Electric. How about L&L Roofing. How about Hubland? Heating and air conditioning. Well, of course, they all have to do with construction. They all happen to be subcontractors for the building project that's going up right over here. The subcontractors, those who have specialized skills in certain areas. But which company is the one that's over the building project entirely? which one is the general contractor? That would be Royal. Royal Construction. And early on in the process of this building project, if you didn't know any better, you'd probably have to conclude that Royal Construction is the worst general contractor ever. Because what happened early on? They came in with heavy equipment and tore up our lawn and the parking lot and came inside perfectly usable rooms and started knocking down walls, tearing out ceilings and insulation, and tearing up the floor. It would seem that royal construction came in with the purpose of making a disaster area of everything. Of course, we do know better. We do know better because in a project such as this, there's two distinct phases. One is demolition, but that's in view of renovation And construction for something far better that we're seeing going up right now. The mark of a good general contractor is with well forethought, with good forethought and confidence to tear down what needs to be demolished and then to build up what's new and better in its place. And we're seeing that take place day by day, week by week, right before our eyes. Here in Ephesians chapter 2, in an important sense, we're witnessing exactly the same thing, but on a different level, on a spiritual level, on a higher level, a saving level. And all of this happens in the person and work of Jesus, our divine GC, general contractor. Jesus, who demolished our prison of failure and is, as we speak, constructing, building his cathedral of peace. You all know about the demolition process, don't you? If you watched any home and garden TV, no doubt you've seen a show like Fixer Upper or Property Brothers and one of the famous favorite parts is when they give a big sledgehammer to one of the homeowners in that wall between the kitchen and the dining room while they invite them to take a big swing And BAM! The wallboard and the the, uh, studs go flying and everyone has a wonderful time. Jesus in our text is depicted by Paul as doing much the same thing in important ways bring us salvation. It says in verse 4 that Jesus has broken down the middle wall of separation. He took a sledgehammer to this particular wall, and if you read the portion before in the book of Ephesians and after, then you'll find out what middle wall he was talking about. There was a pressing issue in the days of the Apostle Paul because God had built a wall around his Old Testament people, Israel, to keep them separate from the Gentiles, the nations around them. They had special diet, they had special laws of worship, and dress, and Sabbaths, and many other things that were intended to be of a temporary nature. And once Jesus came, fulfilling every requirement, and dying not only for the people of Israel, but for the whole world, these temporary distinctions were done away with. That's the middle wall he writes about, bringing peace between the Jews, the descendants of Abraham, and all the other people who believed and followed Christ as well. As I said, it was a hot-button topic at the time, a pressing issue. It's no longer a pressing issue, a hot-button topic for us today. But when Paul writes about Jesus' demolition work, he's not just talking about that wall. He's talking about walls that you have to face every single day. In a very practical sense, they are strong, bleak, impregnable walls around you that would close in on you for your destruction without a savior. And you might say, Pastor Nauman, I don't see any such walls here. We have the walls of the house of God surrounding us right now. We're free to come and go as we please. Nobody here is incarcerated. But you know about these walls. You've seen them and felt them. Whenever you've had a conversation with yourself that includes the words, never again. Never again. You've had that kind of talk with yourself, haven't you? The classic example is someone who drinks too much on a given evening and wakes up feeling very, very ill and groans, never again. I will never do that again. And very often soon finds out those are simply empty words. But it's not just a matter of alcohol. Do you recall the time when you shot off your mouth, hurt somebody deeply, made a fool of yourself in front of people you respect, and later on felt ashamed and said, I'm gonna think before I speak. That's never gonna happen again. Maybe there was the time in frustration, you raised your voice and yelled at your spouse, and you knew exactly what it was that was going to hurt them that you could say, and you did. You plunged in the knife and twisted and later thought, that was uncalled for. Why did I do it? I'm going to make sure I never do a thing like that again. Or perhaps you've reached the end of your rope with the children who are misbehaving and you find yourself shrieking at them. And maybe they deserve correction. Maybe they were misbehaving. But they didn't deserve that. That was not helping them at all. And you think, never again. Have you ever lied to a loved one and it was found out and they were hurt deeply and you said, I'll never do that again. Have you ever indulged your eyes and heart with the filth that the world has to offer on the screen and then later in abject shame thought, a child of God should never see something like that. That's something I'll never ever do again. And in many cases, quote-unquote, never again, comes back to haunt you. When it does happen again, sometimes repeatedly. And we know because the Bible tells us so that this grieves our Lord God. Paul writes in Ephesians 4, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you, And we know that we haven't put these and other things away from us. We know we continue to fail and fall. Those are the walls. The bleak high walls that you have no power to overcome or break down. Bleak high walls that, without a Savior, would stand in your way and keep you from heaven. God is serious about this matter. When you say never again, and it happens again, and you feel ashamed, soiled, even cursed, there's a good reason for that. Because as a sinner, you ought to. The Lord says in Galatians chapter 3, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. These prison walls, they have to come down, or heaven is lost. And you can't demolish them. You can't make a dent. Well, that's where our divine general contractor, the Lord Jesus, comes in with his own kind of blessed destruction. He comes to do what you can't. Did you notice the vivid way that his demolition project is described here in Ephesians 2? In verse 14, we read, He has broken down the wall. In verse 15, he abolished the enmity that is God's well-founded hostility because of your breaking his commandments. He abolished it. In verse 16, it says he put that enmity to death. He killed your sin. And he did it all by taking the blame on himself, by offering up, His life's blood all the way to the grave. He did it through the cross. We have more vivid language in this regard from Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 2. He wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Oh, yes, Jesus, our divine GC, our general contractor, He's very good at demolition. He knocked down the walls of your failures, demolished your shame, took a wrecking ball to the wall of your sins. Everyone you can remember and think of, and even those you can't, because there are those you know. The heart is desperately sinful, and very often we've got guilt we're not even aware of or don't remember doing. And that's why David, in the Psalms, prays this. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. And God answers that prayer, for the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Whether the great out there ones everyone can see or just the ones that are hidden in the heart. Whether those that are a one-time thing or those that are repeated whether those sins are something that plagues your heart and directly in your knowledge or not. The blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sins, and that's why, dear friends, Paul lays such emphasis in this section of Ephesians 2 on the word peace. He himself is our peace the apostle writes. He's broken down the wall, making peace. He preached peace to those far and near. And we are to take the work of our Savior and in our hearts note, no matter what's going on around me, no matter what I can see, no matter what my conscience may be saying to me at this point, God's justified me because Jesus paid the price so I'm confident of his love and care, no matter what. Even when outward storms may rage around us, the Christian confidently leaves it to God, just as we sing in a dearly loved hymn, Just as I am, thy love unknown has broken every barrier down. Now to be thine, yea, thine alone, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Yes, Jesus is great at demolition, the tearing-down part. Of course, any building project isn't just about breaking down things and clearing away the rubble. It's also about construction. It's also about building up. And in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, we see through the Holy Spirit working in our hearts that he's the ultimate architect. He's the ultimate project manager. He's the ultimate master builder for what we know as the Holy Christian Church of which you are a part with trust in Him. He is erecting in place of those bleak prison walls a glorious cathedral of peace, an awe inspiring structure that puts any earthly building to shame. In verse 19 of our text, Paul writes, Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You're no longer on the outside looking into this cathedral, but you're within it. Do you see what the Savior has done for you and in you? Can you look around this sanctuary right now and see the others who also know Jesus as the Savior? Do you know that you are fellow saints with them? And this in spite of the fact that we look at each other and we see ourselves, warts and all, failures, in all and failures and all, we see the way we fall short of God's commandments every day and yet we know we are among those who take every one of those sins to Jesus' cross. He's demolished our prison walls and made us a part of his household, citizens of his kingdom, As the apostle writes, each believer a building block of the greatest temple of all time. For as we read in 1 Peter 2, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. Yes, there's a plan. Yes, there's building going on, though not visible to the naked eye, because you can't see faith. It is going on, and we have more here from the apostle about the materials and methods of our general contractor. Paul says in verse 20, that we are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Here's our building project. The foundations were laid, by the way, for our new classrooms a couple of weeks ago. They need to be deep and strong to hold up the structure that rises above them. What strength do we have? We have the Holy Spirit inspiring Moses and the prophets in Old Testament times to tell of the coming Savior in great detail, to show the story of our fall into sin but the promised Messiah who's coming with ever greater clarity and it's been preserved down through the ages so our hearts can rest upon it. We have the testimony of the prophets, we have the testimony of the apostles, Jesus' immediate followers who were brought to remember all of his words and teachings and have them written down, preserved throughout the centuries so you can open up your Bible and know the accurate story and the truth of how heaven is attained, how Jesus is building his church right before you. Our faith is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets and just as each book of the Bible points to Jesus. Our faith in all things is directed by, and points to, this cornerstone. Verse 20, once again. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Can you, even now, comprehend the awesome temple that God is building, living stone by living stone? Can you take in the glory of what God is constructing in the Holy Christian Church to be brought to its completion on the day of Jesus' return? The answer is no, and neither can I. We have a partial glimpse of what's going on here. We have the inspired word, and we trust in it, We do not see it personally ourselves. Kind of reminds me of our own building project over here. Can you envision exactly what it will be like right now to walk from new classroom to new classroom, to office space, to new bathrooms, to pastor's offices, and see how it all fits together? Well, no, neither can I. We started out with this. It's the overhead plan. It's upside down. We're sitting in the sanctuary. This is the old sanctuary. We're building new classrooms and renovating these. And prayerfully, within a few months, it will be complete. We'll be able to take in just how marvelous a blessing God has given us to continue the ministry of God's word to our children and impart to them other useful knowledge. But early on, we had line drawings and diagrams. Not really able to take in what it's going to be like when we actually see it in person. The same is true of Jesus' temple of peace, the holy Christian church of which you are a living stone. We see only in part right now. We have God's word on what it will be. We'd like to know more, and we're looking forward with excitement to the day of the dedication of this temple of God Behold, with eyes of faith that God has already given you, the awe-inspiring, sweeping lines of his church, the place where God himself lives. It's cavernous. The ceilings are almost out of sight. A light suffuses the entire area that comes directly from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there we are. No tears, no sorrow, no pain, only intense engagement, and joy in the presence of God himself forever and ever. And we will see it when the day comes. You and me and everyone here, sinners though we are, have been washed clean, made citizens of heaven, children of God, part and parcel of that holy temple, the divine cathedral of God's Cathedral of Peace. Say, <clears throat> when do you suppose dedication is going to be for our classroom renovation and expansion? Well, we can't say for sure right now. There's a few variables at hand. We can say it'll be soon. We don't know exactly when, but what a great day that will be a day of celebration of God's blessings to us for our expanded facility see in person the completed building ideal for the ministry of God's word to our children and all of us what about the other dedication what about the completion and dedication of God's cathedral of peace the holy Christian church the temple of his personal dwelling when will that be once again we don't know exactly but it'll be soon and what a day that will be when we get to behold with our eyes our dwelling place and that of God together with all believers in glorious holiness forevermore, we'll forever praise our Savior, the head and CEO of truly royal construction on that day, the one who tore down our prison walls, the one who is building in its place his church. In the meanwhile, we have the present peace we need in his care through this life, sometimes marked with trouble or sorrow. His peace sustains us as our hearts join with the thoughts the hymn writer penned. Though we here must strive in weakness, though in tears we often bend, what his might began in weakness shall achieve a glorious end in Jesus' name. Amen.